0: that verse. This is, in every sense of the word, what we're talking about this morning. God working in us to work out our salvation. Paul tells us it's the job of the Holy Spirit to, to do the work of sanctification in our life. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we always ought, ought to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to, to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. It's the Spirit of God living inside. So we got to have this first step. We got to have justification part handled. God, I make sure that we know that we know that we are His, that we've surrendered. We've had that moment of instant justification in the eyes of God. And then it's a process of the Holy Spirit working in us. We know verses like Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, uh, I live by faith to the Son of the God who loved me and gave himself for me. We know verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We all understand those things, but it's the process of that that's difficult. It's a process where we kind of try to figure out this old life laying aside and this new life living. It's all done in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, if you went through Knowing Faith last semester, you understand this is all talking about the doctrine of union with Christ. It's something we don't have time to get in this morning. It's about how Christ is in us and we are in him. In Christ, it's all the the scripture, the the the, the verbiage in scripture is in and to, uh, for by and through Him, and we live our life all by those. I don't, is that a preposition or an ad? I don't know those. I don't the grammar word the, the preposition or the the adjective of in for by through and into Him. Okay, those words in scripture mean that we are in Him, just like He is in us. It's in Christ. We can work out all these things. In Christ, we lay aside that old self and put on the new self. In Christ, we continue to figure this life out. So, if you're saved, then this lifelong process should be taking place in your life where you are more and more like Christ today than you were this time last week. And that's the question, that's really the hard question of the day, is are you in the process of this are you more like Christ this week than you were last week are you growing deeper in your understanding and your walk and your devotion are you deepening your relationship with God or or are we just coasting through from one major life event to the next to the next to the next because that's what we do with our schedules right I don't, maybe we're just different and weird We look at our schedule and things that we've got coming up, and we talk about, oh, I can't wait to go on vacation, or I can't wait till this starts, or I can't wait till we get to do this, or I can't wait till this happens. And we do this every month. We sit back and we kind of look over the schedule and go, okay, what all do we have coming up? Oh, on this weekend, we're going to get to go here, or this is going to be Memorial Day weekend, we're going to have so much fun, and we're going to do this. And then, you know, vacation, can't wait to go here, can't wait to go do that. And we kind of live for those big moments, those little mile markers in our life. And sometimes I think that's how we spend it with God. Well, I got saved. That's one big mile marker. I guess whenever I, I, I whenever I get married, I should probably, I should probably be the leader. So I will wait till I get married, and then okay, now I got kids. I got some other responsibility. So now I'm going to coast until I have those. And once I got them, I mean, really, what can you do with them when they're that little? We'll just coast until they get big enough to really understand. And we're just bouncing from one thing to the next. We're just coasting from mile marker to mile marker. And God says, that's, that's not what this life is supposed to be. We should, should be continually working this out. Now I could take you guys to lists in scripture, these, uh, these long lists that says things like rid yourself of, right? Rid yourself of anger and malice and deceitfulness and selfish ambition and sexual immorality and hypocrisy. And the list just kind of goes on and on and on. Over and over in the New Testament it gives us these lists of things that we should not be doing and things that we should be doing. And although those lists are not exhaustive. Let me just say that from the stage so everybody understands that we like to treat them like they are. Well, it didn't say I couldn't do this. Bible never says you can't do this. It's not meant to be exhaustive. I think I have this on the screen. The process of becoming like Christ has nothing to do with a list of do's and don'ts and has everything to do with a genuine affection for your salvation. It's never about do's and don'ts. If, if all you get from Scripture is a list of do's and don'ts and you've missed the overwhelming story of Scripture, we should never get over being saved. We should never get over the awe and wonder that God would love us enough to save us. And when we recognize the cost of that salvation, what had to take place for us to have right relationship with God then our only response should be a life surrendered to the one who saved us, right? If we realize all that Jesus had to do for us to be in right relationship with him and God the Father, then why would we not go, okay, man, if you did all that for me, then I'll live everything I've got for you. That is a process of sanctification. And notice it's not about do's and don'ts. It's about love. It's about loving Jesus enough to say, okay, I'll do it how you say to I'll come underneath your leadership. I'll come underneath your rule in my life. I love you enough to obey you. I love you enough to have deep relationship with you. So we're going to stay in Romans again this week. We kind of started off there last week. We're going to stick around there this week. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I didn't do that on purpose. It's just the way we're going to do it. So if you got Romans chapter 5 really sets up Romans chapter 6, which is where we're going. But we've got to kind of stay, start in the middle if we're not going to understand the argument that Paul's kind of making for us. Romans 5, let's so start with verse 18. It should be on the screen. It says this. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. We talked about that last week, right? We love that. For justice through the obedience of the one man, many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Paul is setting up, he's contrasting Adam and Jesus, right? Adam's sin that brought penalty and death and consequence with just one sin, But with Christ, one act of righteousness brought life for everyone who believes. Keep reading verse 20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we read this casually, we could think, "What? what in the world? Law was added? So that sin could increase? That doesn't even make sense. Like The the law should have been added to kind of keep us from. But that word added means to come alongside. The The law came alongside sin. But sin was already there, right? Adam was long before Moses. Adam and his mistake and how that kind of generationally passed on to everyone else was already there. Man's separation from God, his disobedience, his rebellion was already present. And the law comes in alongside it and points out even more and more and more. It makes it more obvious. It it gives this sin a little bit more life. Oh, this is too. Oh, this is too. And this is too. And then Paul says this incredible phrase, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I love that. That little phrase, all the more, uh, is a Greek word. It's only found twice in Scripture, and it means to overflow or to superabound, right? No matter the sin, grace is bigger. No matter the sin, grace superabounds. It's bigger than that. There's nothing in our past that grace is not greater than. There's nothing that we've done that grace cannot cover. If we sit back and think of it, none of us deserve that kind of grace. None of us deserve that kind of of forgiveness and that kind of right relationship. No matter what our sin history is, we've eternally offended an eternal God. But yet He desires right relationship with us and so He allows grace to cover our sin. The simple fact that He would even allow that is grace itself. It's grace that we've received that imparts righteousness. We talked about this last week, right? Your salvation, this instant act of justification is grace. That God would allow us to ever even be in His presence is grace. Look what He says, and here's the hook. verse Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning So that grace may increase? If we're granted this grace, and Paul says it increases all the more, in light of our sin, it continues to get bigger because there's no sin that's bigger than grace. Can't we just take advantage of it? Like that's the perfect scenario, right? It's a, the greatest situation. God grants unending grace. We can live our lives how we want, where we want, when we want, and we'll just come back and we'll ask for forgiveness and He'll continue to increase grace. Sounds like a pretty good deal. And unfortunately, almost every one of us in the room knows this next verse, knows verse two, but we live like we don't. We live like. We don't know what Paul says. We live like oh, it doesn't matter what I do. I can ask forgiveness later and move on. I have grace. I have salvation. I have this assurance that God calls me his own. And we ignore the cost that that grace came. And we ignore the process of becoming more like Christ. Instead, we'd rather do a myriad of other things. We'd rather get drunk on the golf course. We'd rather flirt with our coworker. We'd rather cuss at our kids. We'd rather look at pornography. We'd rather cheat on our taxes. We'd rather prioritize anything over church, anything over serving the church. Cram our schedules so full that if we have time, then really church is the easiest thing to negotiate whether we should or should not be involved in. We give our attention and our time and our money to anything and everything else. And when it all comes crashing down, because church, it will all come crashing down then we run back to God we we ask for forgiveness we get given grace we ask him to increase the grace in our life and we take advantage of him and we take advantage of the forgiveness and once we get settled back in our new normal we just start the cycle all over again been there done that And most of us in the room can say, yeah, me too. Tried to live it on my own, tried to do it all on my own, knowing that God wants something bigger and better for me, but I knew that I could come back whenever I got things where I wanted them. And then it all crashed down around me. And I came back with my tail between my legs. And unfortunately, it doesn't take long for us to forget. And we just start that cycle all over again. Paul says, Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? By no means. Your version may say, absolutely not. If you've got an old Bible, it says, God forbid. God forbid that we take advantage of him. God forbid that we manipulate grace. God forbid that we feign at contention to run headlong back into sin and the same behaviors that got us in the mess that we came in with. God forbid that we take advantage of that grace. And listen to me, I'm not talking about a genuine sin struggle because we've all got those, right? We've got this thing that we've continued to surrender over Christ and we said, listen, I don't want to do this anymore and somehow we just kind of end up back to it and we didn't want to and it's it's a real deal struggle in our life but we are broken every time. We come back to Jesus and we're just so we're repentant and we're sorry and we're saying we don't want to and somehow it worms its way back in. That's a real struggle and I believe God is real patient with us in those. When our hearts are broken and we recognize the magnitude of it, I'm talking about the game that we play. I'm talking about how we, when, when we feel guilty enough, when we get caught in sin. Listen, we're real honest. Some of us repent of sin not because we're sorry we did it, but we're sorry we got caught. Some of us have, have repented to God saying, I'm so sorry that I got caught doing this, but you're never really sorry that you did it in the first place. It's a big difference. We think we can just come back to God and get our brownie points and curve, maybe even serve and give and play the part, do do what we're supposed to do right enough, and then we'll eventually get back to our regular life later. That's not growing in Christ. That's growing in manipulation, but it's not growing in Christ, and I believe God sees right through that. Now, many of you may say something like, I got in my notes. Sanctification is a process of growing more like Christ. But I've also said from this stage, there's nothing you can do that can ever make God love you more. So, so which one is it? And I would say to you, you're exactly right. Sanctification isn't about God loving you more, it's about you loving God more. You can't do anything else. You can't can't earn your, your way with him. He doesn't look at our life and go, oh, man, this person's doing everything right. I love them more than I love this person over here. can't do that. It's beyond his scope. He loves us all fully the same. That's not what sanctification is about. Sanctification is about us learning to love him more. Us realizing the attitude and the way that we live our life reflects on how we actually view and love God. It's about recognizing what all Jesus did for us and providing the right relationship with us in every aspect, just surrendering our life, saying, okay, I just, if you did all that for me, then I'm going to do all this for you. You ever been forgiven of something incredible? Like you did something really, really, really bad. And I would say another word. You did something really, really, really stupid. You know what I'm talking about? And you had to go to somebody that you loved. And you had to confess. And you had to say, listen, this is what I've done. And I know it's going to hurt you. It's hurt me. It's going to hurt other things. And sometimes God allows us to to be around people that love us deeply and they forgive that. It hurts. If you've ever been forgiven of something so deep, and then you just act like it didn't even matter. No, it doesn't matter. I got the forgiveness. That's all I was after. I'm good to go. Now I'm going to go out and do my life. What Do you think this person really believed that you were sorry? Why would you not, in every instance, go over and above To show that person your gratitude for their forgiveness. This is the process. God's not holding it over our heads. The Bible says He forgives and He forgets. But we remember what our life was like. We remember what we were doomed for. We remember what we actually, truly deserve. And our life is a reflection of the grace that we've been given. We just say, okay, everything is yours. Because of that, that salvation, because of that justification moment in my life, I can't live life the same anymore. I have to continue to give you everything I've got. Look how Paul explains it. He says, "We died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? You died to sin can't act like that. We can't do that. That's not who we are. That part of our life is dead. Verse 3 says this, Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This baptism that we do in church is symbolic it's symbolic of the regeneration of our soul. Listen, you can be saved and never be baptized. Okay, Salvation has nothing to do with baptism. Baptism is an act of obedience post-salvation, that we are saved and then we get baptized. We get baptized for a couple different reasons. One, because Jesus did it, and if Jesus did it, we probably should do it ourselves, right? Number two, we also get saved because it's an outward expression of what God's done inwardly in our life. Jesus said, if you deny me before others, I will deny you before my Father. If you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father. So we say, okay, God, I'm going to show everybody. I'm not ashamed of the decision that I made. It's It's an outward expression, but it's also symbolic. We go under the water, we die to our old life. We are washed and we come up new in this new life that God has given us. This is exactly what Paul's telling us in this scripture. We have been baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death, right? We're buried with him through baptism. And just as Christ was raised for the death, glory of the Father, we too can be raised to live this new life. It's very symbolic. Do you know? Do you know that the early church fathers would not allow people to be baptized for three years after their confession? You want to know why? Because for those three years, they watched them. Is it real? Are you really living your life as, as a professed believer? Are you really making decisions? Are you really doing all that you're supposed to do? Because you're not going to come in the early church and fake it. Three years you had to wait. And then they would baptize you. And you had to prove it. You had to walk it. You had to live it. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> okay. Some of you are like, oh my goodness. No, we don't do that anymore. But really, this because it's not up to me. It's not my job to judge It's it's God's job to judge your life. It's God's job to judge the genuineness of your surrender. That's not my job. But I would would be willing to say a lot of us maybe have been baptized, but we never rose to that new life. Like like you came to, to Christ, and you understand that moment of salvation, and you understand that moment of justification, and you died to a part of it. But you never really took a step forward into this new life. He's promised. Look how what he says next. I wanted to skip down to verse eleven, but verse eleven starts with the phrase "in the same way," so we can't read it without reading the process. So we'll go to verse eight. Here's what he says: Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Don't don't just read this and overlook what he's really trying to say, because at first glance, we go this and we go, yeah, we can celebrate Jesus, right? This is awesome. He's talking about how he defeated death. He raised from the dead. He died once. Can't do that again. Uh, Now he lives for God. That's awesome. Good for him. But I don't think Paul's just trying to just celebrate Jesus. He is, but he's not just trying to do that. I think he's trying to pull a parallel into our own life, right? He said he died. He can't die again. Death has no mastery over him. This was a once-for-all moment, now living for God. And we, church, died to sin. When we were baptized with him, we were baptized into his death. We died to sin. That sin should have no mastery over us anymore. We can't return to it again. We we are now living for Him. It's a complete change in our life. You go, man, how do you know that? Because verse 11 tells us so, right? Verse 11, the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I don't even have to preach. The Bible does it for me, right? It's not, this is not hard. Paul's going, listen, this is what all happened. And this is why we do what we do. And now we got to, we got to die to this old way of life. We got to die to this sin and we got to be alive in Christ Jesus. And some of you are thinking, okay, but like, there's more to sanctification than just not manipulating grace. There's more to growing in Christ than just not returning to sin, and I say you're right. This is where I'm going to leave you today, and this is the, this is kind of a, a lingering last thought. You guys know I kind of try to leave you with something that gives you something to chew on throughout the week, and this is one that's going to be a little hard. Okay, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. I wonder why he said it like that. Yeah, I, I read that and I go, it's kind of, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Parts of your body to sin. But I think God really knows us. We say things like, I know I've not been living right, but God knows my heart. He knows I'm a good person. He knows that I love him. In other words, God's not going to judge me based on my uh, actions. He's going to judge me based on my intentions. My heart's in a good place even though my body's doing bad things. And this one verse, I think, cuts our self-righteousness out from underneath it. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In other words, you are responsible for your actions. I'm going to say that one more time. You are responsible for your actions. You know who else says something like that in Scripture? James. I wanted to preach James this morning so bad. Some of y'all thought oh, he's probably going to go James, going to talk about how we live and how we don't live. Faith without actions is dead, and all that kind of stuff. James says, James chapter two, verse eighteen: "Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. My deeds do not earn my faith, but my faith drives my deeds." It's exactly what James has been saying this whole time. You're responsible. You can't say, well, I I didn't, I, you know, I know I'm living completely opposed to what God wants, but he knows that I love him. He knows my heart. And oh, Paul tells us, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let your body be doing things that's contrary to what you say your heart is because your heart is what you're doing, whether you want to believe it or not. Then he says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin. And we immediately pull back and go, that's weird. I don't do that. I don't be like, okay, my right hand, that's my sin hand. I'm going to slap people with that. I'm going to, I'm going to hit people with that. I'm going to, I'm going to drink a beer with that hand. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to hold the remote control in this hand. I'm going to let people do whatever they do. This is a by part of my body that's going to be the instrument of sin. I don't do that. That's dumb. And I thought, okay, God, how what, what's the best way to describe that? If you've got your Bible, I only have this on the. Maybe I have it on the screen. Proverbs chapter six. Is that up there, Mark? Yeah, I put it on the screen. Okay. Proverbs six sixteen says this. This is incredible. There are six things the Lord hates. And you go, whoa. Hates? Yeah. It says God hates six things, seven that are detestable to him. And he lists them. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness that pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. And isn't it interesting that that what the Bible says God hates are all described as parts of the body. Paul says, do not offer parts of your body as instruments of wickedness. Eyes, what are you looking at? What are you allowing in? What draws your attention? What gets your focus? Your tongue, what comes out of your mouth? Lies, gossip, filth, hurtful words, building up or tearing down. Are you asking for forgiveness? Repenting? Are you first in line to reconcile with others? Why is it so hard for us to go to people and say, I'm sorry? Because our tongue, we don't have control over. Man, James talks a lot about the tongue. Compares it to a rudder on a ship, spark that lights a burning fire. This is the most dangerous thing that we've got. Is our tongue? Hands. Hands that shed innocent blood. And we go, well, we don't do that, but what are your hands doing the most? What are you actively doing the most? Are you helping? Or are you hurting? Are you manufacturing things for your own benefit? Are you serving the needs of others? What are your hands doing? Feet? What are you running to? What demands the most of your attention? What gets your very best? These verses in Proverbs end with the false witness and the dissension, but that's not intrinsically mentioned. I believe those two things come from your heart. What's in your heart, church? What draws your love the most? See, when we begin to surrender all the parts of our bodies to him, this is when sanctification takes place. This is when uh, we are working out our salvation by the actions of our lives and the parts of our bodies follow suit. That our hearts are not divided, that our mouth is not pouring out hurtful things. That we are pouring out praise. That our hands are giving and serving, that our feet are working towards something that's bigger, that our eyes are focused on what's most important. I put it on the screen as our last thought. No longer is God able to save, he's worthy to serve. That's the process of sanctification. Realizing that God's not only just able to save, but he's worthy to serve. And so my question this morning as we wrap up and I'm going to be done is what's the focus of your love? What's the focus of your life? Is it, is it I'm just mile marker to mile marker? I'm just hitting highlight to highlight? Or is every day a surrender say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? What are you trying to teach me today? I, I can say this with all honesty. It's a scary prayer to pray. Be careful what you ask for. About two months ago, Jess and I were talking and we were talking about life. We do that a lot. And, uh, and I, I had said something about COVID, how COVID just changed a lot. Okay, it's just, it just has. In my world, as a pastor, my ability and availability to be at places and to be around folks really shrunk down. You're having surgery, they don't let me in the hospital anymore. You get out of surgery. I don't need to be at your house. You You need to you need to get well without somebody being there that could possibly get you sicker. And and it felt like our world kind of pulled in a little bit. I still made phone calls. I still tried to do as much as I could do. And and now that all this we I say that now that all this is kind of on the backside, hopefully, we just said you know what we want to be more available. We want to be more available. God's got us here. We're here for a reason. We want to be available. And within the last two months, it's like God went, oh, you do? Okay, well, and he just dumped out this whole thing on us. We were like, okay, maybe can we change our mind? Maybe a little less available. But but we just stood back and said, okay, God, we'll do it. If we're going to ask for you to to do something in our life and you do it, I'm not going to complain about it. And, and for some of us this morning, I think the process of sanctification, we go, I don't, I don't even know what it's going to change. If God begins to change my life, what all's going to change? But when we come to Him and say, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm wanting to grow. I'm wanting to go deeper. I'm wanting to be more of who you have for me to be. Then you need to be ready for Him to take you there. And some of it is going to make us change the way we do things. The way we see things, the way we surrender to things, the people that we involve ourselves with, the activities that we involve ourselves with, there are going to be things that God's going to want to change in your life. And if you are throwing up walls, I'm not ready for that, then you're not ready for sanctification. But if you come to me and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to make this more real. I'm ready to make this more of what you have for me. I'll surrender whatever I have to because of what all you did for me. Then you need to be ready. Because God's going to challenge you on things. He's going to challenge your marriage. He's going to challenge your parenting. He's going to challenge your home. He's going to challenge your work environment. He's going to challenge your extracurricular activities. He's going to challenge all those things and say, do you really love me enough? Doesn't mean he takes them away. It means he challenges them. What's most important? Is it more important for you to do this or this? Or is it more important you to obey me when I say to do this and this? This is the process that we are all in. And listen, some of us are are over here. Some of us are rolling along. We've been doing this for a long time. And some of us are right here and we're just at the beginning. And we feel like there's this mountain of stuff. God's not comparing our stories. He just says, I just need your heart. And I need to be able to work in it. So this morning, I'm going to ask if you stand. TJ's going to come and sing, and we're going to have a moment of invitation, a moment of surrender. If you need to come forward and say, listen, I don't know that I'm ready for sanctification because I haven't had this moment of salvation. I haven't had this justification moment yet. I need to take care of that. Then you come forward. I'd love to talk to you about that. Many of us say, we've already got that knocked out. We're just not living it. And when you said things like, God's going to judge us based on our actions and not our intentions, man, that, that hurt a little bit and I need to start acting like I'm intending to. Maybe we just need to confess. You don't have to do that with me. I'm happy to pray with you. I'm happy to pray with you. If you need to come and pray, you can do that. You can do that where you sit. You need to join the church or if you need to ask questions about what this church is and why we do what we do, I'd love to answer those questions. This is your opportunity to whatever God's calling to you in this moment. Don't miss this moment. A lot of us just need to surrender to The process of the growing in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for what you are doing and what you have done in our life. And Father, as we continue to grow in sanctification, God, help us to grow in our Christ-likeness. God, let it be the defining characteristic of our life. And we may be a lot of things, but the very top of the list is that I am a believer. That I've surrendered my life to Jesus and that my life reflects the faith that I profess. And Father, we know that life happens and sometimes we veer off course and sometimes we get all the way down a road we didn't ever want to get down. And so, Father, this morning we just want to give you a moment of honesty and say, God, we are so sorry. We come back and we ask for grace that increases over our sins of disobedience and apathy, our sins of nonchalance and caring not what, what we do. God, it, care, it matters. God, we want to we recognize that. So, Father, whatever it is, whatever you've called us to, maybe we just haven't been in church in a long time, maybe, maybe we've been here and we've been faking it for a long time. God, whatever it is. Call us back into right relationship and continue the process of making us more like Jesus. Father, if somebody needs to come this morning, I pray that they don't white-knuckle a pew, that they don't hesitate. Father, when I say amen, they come. God, because it's the decision that has nothing to do with me. It's all about them and you. And God, we pray that you would just work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As TJ sings, if you need to come, you come. Don't miss this opportunity.